Hi, I'm Sunny Dean. And I'm Scott Drakeford. And this is the Publishing Rodeo podcast. In 2022, we both launched debut novels in the same genre with the same publisher in the same year. But despite having very similar starts, our books and subsequently each of our careers went in very different directions. That pattern repeats itself throughout the industry over and over. Why do some books succeed while others seem to be dead on arrival? In this podcast, we aim to answer those questions and many more, along with how to build and maintain an author career. Everyone signing a contract deserves to know what they're really signing up for. In an industry that loves its secrets, we'll be sharing real details from real people. We'll cover the gamut of life as a Big Five published author, from agents to publishing contracts, finances, and more. All right, Sonny, do you, do you want to do the uh, little lead-in, or do you like me to, the intro? Uh, you feel free. Oh, God, I suck at scripted stuff. Okay, welcome to Publishing Rodeo, <laughs> where we say the quiet part out loud. We've got Michael J. and Robin Sullivan with us today for a very, very highly anticipated uh, episode, at least on our part. We're going to be asking them a boatload of questions, but first we're going to kind of give them the floor. Well, Sunny has has a, a question she wants to get in. Yes, I was going to lead in with this, this first question. I have read the, the Riria Chronicles, and we generally, Scott and I, have heard of Robin and her work and her advocacy for authors. So my first question is, how does it feel to be legends? <laughs> 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 so so what what's that thing uh so that you watched the movie gandhi and he says uh thankfully news like that comes very slowly to where we live <laughs> so that's 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 kind of the thing we we live in the middle of nowhere we don't hear anything about this it it's interesting because this coincides with the blog post i was just putting up today in which i was explaining how everyone who sees me I think gets the impression that I'm famous or but that we're not, yeah. or that like I'm a big author, but I'm really not because, and I know this because I will see things on the internet that say, oh, you're, you're a big author. And I start to think, well, maybe I am. And then the next thing I go to, I'm like, oh no, I'm not <laughs> because that's how the internet works. But I mean, I haven't been to a con in, since 2015. So yeah. I mean, the real world, I don't know about. She actually got out. So she has some. She has some experience with seeing a little change, I guess. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen a little bit of change. Um, yeah, and the fact that anyone even knows who I am. So I'll tell you a really, really quick story, which is I was on my way to a con, and I heard some people cross the aisle talking. And uh, I said, oh, you're going to the writer's con. They said, yeah. And uh, and we just started chatting. And I was... She, she was on a plane at the time. I was on a plane. And... Uh, I was explaining a, a, a contractual situation with Michael and some problems we were having with our editor. And they said, you know, and how he wouldn't let his editor change a certain portion of his book. And he says, well, you know, if you don't mind me asking, like, you know, what, what was it that he objected to? I said, well, unless you knew his series, you really wouldn't know. But, and I started to explain like some things in very, very vague, very vague uh, way. And the person says, that's the Rayera revelations. I said, it is. And he says, you're Robin Sullivan. And I'm like, yeah. And, she, and the person starts banging on the seat in front of us. Robin Sullivan is sitting across the aisle from me back here. And the person's running around like, no way, no way. And it was like a whole big thing. We like rode together from the airport to the hotel and we had lunch and it was like my coolest thing ever. <laughs> but no, that doesn't usually happen. But th that happened once. On that note, I'm sorry I said your series wrong. I've never heard anyone say it out loud. I've only seen it written it's down. Fine. First time you hear people say Wheel of Time names. I thought, like, of, I, I thought of correcting you, <laughs> and I went, no, there's I, no reason. So three, three syllables. So rye. I, I definitely thought it was Riria. Yeah. <laughs> I've, been, I've been saying that for years. So it's three syllables. Rye, like the bread. Oh, yeah, ear, like what yeah. you hear with. And ah, like ah, a sigh of relief. So right ear, ah. But nobody knows and yeah, nobody says it right. So don't so, worry about it. So I, I create words and sometimes I'll look at how I wrote them and say, that doesn't even make sense to how I say it. But I was with Tim, Gerard Reynolds, who does the recordings and he's looking at them because, well, how do you say this? And I'm like going, I don't know. I, I don't pronounce words as well as you do. How would you say it? He goes, oh, no, that doesn't matter. Have you seen the words in America? Because <laughs> how they spell it has nothing to do with how you want to pronounce them. So. Yeah. 
So yeah, don't worry about it. It Get happens all the time. That's, uh, that's, that's really funny. I mean, you, you may have had few instances of being famous in real life, but at least for me, you, you're famous for your Reddit arguments that I've seen over the years. I have really enjoyed those. <laughs> we, we, I, we, have, we, have, we have taken publishers to task on time to time uh, yeah. over yep. various contract issues and behavior and so forth. Well, it's strange because most people, if I were to try to say, you know, my publishing history or say, you know, this is the path I took. It doesn't really apply to most authors from mm -hmm. what I know because I took such yeah. a weird path. I started off in self-publishing and because of that. Well, technically, I, I was, technically, we started off with a small press. Technically, technically, we started off in self-publishing. No. Our very first book. Your very first book we was We printed. I don't even know what you're talking about, so okay. Bloody Crown. We printed yeah. 300 copies. Yes, but it never was sold. No, it wasn't ever sold, but I'm just saying. We tried. <laughs> uh, okay, let me explain. That's, so, that sounds like self-publishing for most of us, yeah. When, we, when I got done with the books, we tried shopping around, didn't get anywhere. So No, he tried shopping it around and didn't get anywhere. And then I took over, and I got him an agent. He got me an agent. And the agent shopped it to all the big houses, and no one was interested. And so then the agent said, well, why don't you try, you know, some of the small presses? And I said, okay. And she said, well, you don't need us for small presses. Just do it on your own. And so I started doing some query letters. But while I was doing that, I also was learning about self-publishing. And this was long before there was a Kindle. This was when you literally sold stuff on the trunk of your car. So I learned all about self-publishing. And I had printed up like 200 ARCs of his first book. And then we checked, I checked my email, which I hadn't checked for months. And this very small publisher in Minnesota said, hey, uh, I would like to publish your book. And I was like, damn, I just figured all this self-publishing stuff out. But we did sign with that self-publisher, right, sorry, with that small publisher, made, how much money did we make with them? None. None. How much money did we pay them? I'm gonna say you're kind of broke even. So um, they, they were well-intentioned, but not the best of businessmen. And we saw Mike's books go out of stock on Amazon. And the way I had the contract written, when the books went out of print, the rights reverted. So I was very anxious you know, I was like, oh, you know, we, you know, contract's over. We get to get the rights back. And, and, and long story short, he wasn't paying his warehousing fees. So the warehouse was holding all the books hostage. They weren't letting them out. So in the dead of winter, we um, went and got a U-Haul and we bought from the warehouse at rock bottom prices, something like 1,300 of his books to free up the warehousing fees because we paid his warehousing fees. We did it in trade for books. And then the rest of his books got printed. This is, the, got this is the part of the movie where you see the, the music montage and us driving it, this rickety U-Haul in the really winter going, cold. going to Ohio. It was snowing, it was in Ohio. And those books did eventually sell out. And that's when we started self-publishing yeah. is uh, after we got the rights back for that. So you, you sold those 1,300 yourselves? Yes. Yeah. That you went and liberated from a warehouse. <laughs> that we, yeah, that we, that we, yes. Okay. Just making sure I got those details straight. There's also a side tangent I should get into is the fact that our publisher did not want to do eBooks. Yeah, they did not want to do eBooks. Uh, because they, it was brand new and they figured it was going to cut into the sales of their print books. So they were just totally against it. So Robin being Robin said, okay, we will absolutely do that and just yeah, tell you about it later. And she did. And so what did you do? Well, so I did the eBooks. And I said, you know, I will share with you the ebook royalties, but you got to first pay us the print royalties, which they never had. Yeah, so, so it kind of broke. It kind of broke even because we kind of got the ebook money and they got the print money, and then we paid for their warehousing fee. But now to get back to what I actually was planning to say, was that because we had been self-publishing and because we had done pretty well self-publishing, uh, in fact, we we're doing rather well. When I went to the big publishers, or Robin... Oh, suddenly everybody wants to yeah. talk to us, right? <laughs> but not only that, I didn't have the same experience that your average startup aspiring writer would have going in and saying, please buy my book. Mine was like, I don't know, I'm not really sure I want to sell you my book. And that was a completely different dynamic, specifically back in 2010 when this was going on, because no author would ever refuse a six-figure deal 
for their first trilogy. I mean, it wasn't or yeah. like a trilogy. Yeah. It wasn't going to happen. They didn't realize that because they didn't realize who I am, and and I'm just not that kind of person. <laughs> yeah. It the it, what was really interesting was. So we had we, we knew some traditional publishing people, and we were at some conventions, and we we're saying, yeah, well, we got this deal from um, from Orbit. It was a preempt deal. Okay, one hundred thirty thousand for three books, and everyone's like, well, you take that, you take that, you take that, absolutely, you're going to take that. I said, yeah, I don't know, you know, because we're doing pretty well with self publishing and this and that, and they're like, well, like, how many books are you selling a month? And I'm like, well, about eight to ten thousand books a month, you know? And they're like, eight to ten thousand books. Do not sign that contract, you know, like, yeah, because like, yeah. they were selling at four ninety nine and six ninety nine a piece, so we were making like really good money. And when I did the calculations, uh, you know, I kind of ran the, the numbers. I said, you know, Mike, I think if we sign this contract, we'll probably lose about a quarter of a million dollars. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Mike said, <laughs> no, we're going to sign the contract. I said, he says, I don't care about the money. I said, well, I, I kind of care about the money. <laughs> yeah, and he's like. No, because he says, he says, okay, well, show me the store I can go to and pay $250,000 and get the stamp of approval that traditional publishing will give me. And I said, okay. Basically, yeah, you're right. You can't spend that money and get the kind of advertising that you yeah. would get going through traditional. It's really weird because it's the, many of the things that we've done, like Kickstarters or getting traditionally published, has nothing to do with running a Kickstarter or getting traditionally published. It has to do with basically advertising. Yeah. It's, it's- when I went through a publisher, a traditional publisher, my probably I probably tripled my reader base. Yeah. And when I went to wow. Kickstarter, I opened up a whole new realm. And most people say, oh, you went to Kickstarter for that. But no, actually, we had no idea that when you go to Kickstarter, you get a whole new readership. Yeah. That you wouldn't, because most of the people who bought my books were not my readers. Yeah, they were new hmm. They were new to Michael's And the same stories. is true with, with traditional publishing. Because when you look mm-hmm. on the also-boughts, it would switch, because I had already been selling at a higher price point, so therefore I was you know, being picked up with the other people at the same price point. But also, traditionally published put me on that market again even higher. So Yeah. Yeah, and, and it turned out we didn't lose that money because we got a lot of foreign sales. Yeah, there were a few things we didn't know, Yeah, which was another good reason to go traditional because we learned a whole lot of stuff by doing that. We yeah. learned a lot of stuff by doing it, so, yeah. So this book that you first sold to, to Orbit, I, I mean, I, I know that's the Rayer revelations, right? <laughs> yeah. But that that's not the same book. Say uh, Rayer. There we go. Nailed it. Um, <laughs> I, I right saw now, you there's a bunch of people feet. watching this saying, "That's not how I say it." Yeah, I say Rayuria. There's a bunch of but people it, right it, now watching this going, "Who is this guy?" Yeah. Well, if they're saying that about you, they're definitely saying that about me. But that, just so I'm clear on that, that's not the same book, or is the same book that it you is. had with a small publisher and had to liberate from from a yes. warehouse, sold them that on your own, and that's. Book. Okay, okay, so. So yeah, so so those books were uh, picked up by Orbit. Orbit's slam for them was to put them out uh, very, very quickly, which they did. They put them out in uh, November, November, December, December, and January, which at the time I thought, oh, you know, this is showing like how cool they are and how savvy they are. And and then I realized, nah, this just means they don't have to advertise, you know, they didn't have to spend advertising money for us like every year. They only had to do it once, you know. In listening to your podcast, the the impression I get is that publishing can be very capricious. It's kind of like the flip of the coin of like who gets like the good stuff and who gets the bad stuff. Well, we got the bad stuff. One of the biggest problems about traditional publishing is when you go in and when you sign the contract, you never know what your experience is going to be. Like Sun Yi, like obviously they had you on the fast track for like big splash, right? That is very hard to get. Like like most people aren't going to get that. So like like hoping for that is yes. like that's a little bit of a pipe dream but like what most of us mere mortals get like we we did get a good advance but we got nothing else i mean like the covers were not spectacular in any way it was interesting because we know this now because yeah. we also then went over to delray yeah and there's a huge difference between publishers you wouldn't necessarily know this if you had never been published or if you've only been published through one group but yeah they would not I, I'm actually surprised they allowed me to rename the books when they combined them into omnibuses. Yeah. Uh, I actually was able to be the person who titled those, which was good. That was like the only thing we yeah. got. But 
I mean, we, we made a lot of suggestions as the, the cover art, and none of that was actually listened to. Yeah. So the good news is, for those aspiring writers who might be listening, uh, when you go to a publisher and they say, and there's always these nightmares stories that I was told, was like, oh my God, they made me cut 30,000 words and they made me That's take this character out or change this character. And that happened. They came to me with a, whole, a, a terrible list of all these changes. And I contacted my agent and I said, am I supposed to be expected to make these changes? And she said, no, those are suggestions. And I went, yeah, they're yes. like suggestions, suggestions as in do it or else. But this is okay because we hadn't actually signed the contract yet, uh, which is why I was asking. And they said, no, they're, they're really just suggestions. They said, oh, good, because I'm not making any of them except for four. Uh, which mirrored the changes that 70,000 readers had fed back to me over the course of two years. They had yeah. read it, they all had these same problems, so I made those changes. But the ones that Orbit wanted me to change, this large list, I didn't. Uh, and, I, and as a result of that, you, at least in my case, again, I don't know if this is atypical or not, but in my case, I didn't have to basically make any changes to the novel to get it published because I was told by my editor that when they buy books for the most part, they buy them in a way that they expect that they could be published as is. They will try to improve it, but if you refuse, it's okay, they're just gonna publish it anyway. So they generally don't make deals for their books that are like, well, if we can fix this, we'll sell it, because that makes no business sense. So they yeah. buy it with the idea that, yes, this is good enough to print, we, maybe we can convince the author to change it a little well, bit. Well, but that's, that's the other thing that I don't know for sure. Like because, said, because like, Mike got, virtually no editorial changes. Like, you know, what he was talking about was like copy edits, right? They yeah. weren't like, right. you needed to change story. And like, we always heard, well, like, you know, one of the reasons why you go to a, a traditional publisher is, you know, they'll make your book so much better because they'll take it and they'll, you know, they'll work with you on it and they'll work through it and they'll be, you know, it'll be much better. We never got any of that. But there's another author that we know, uh, traditionally published, and, and he's, he makes comments to us all the time like, Oh, I turned in my manuscript to my editor and it is such a mess, but I'm not worried because she'll, she'll make it wonderful and it'll be good when she gets done with it. And I'm like, you get your editor to like, yeah. I like, we don't get that kind of help. I mean, and I never know if it's because A, Mike is so prickly that they know any suggestions they suggest he won't do. B, they just don't have time and they have bigger fish to fry. So they spend their activity on that person or C, they just don't care. Um, or we just have different editors. Or D, the books are absolutely perfect and they absolutely need no changes, which I suppose that is that's, probably that's what it, it. is. <laughs> I, think, I think there's a ton of factors, but the something that was explained to me by uh, basically a podcast I was listening to run by agents is that editors are either good at, a lot of editors are either good at marketing, which is like you get the editors who are good at actually getting the book out there and then there are editors who are good at editing and the golden one is the one who can do both, I guess. Well, we got neither. Um, <laughs> my, my, yeah, my editor is very editorial, uh, but she, I would say that's her kind of, her MO. Uh, just looking at the other books she bought, I know that she's bought books that were just like hollowed out and rebuilt, so. But here's the funny thing. I think your editor is our editor. Oh. Deve? No. At Orbit, yeah. No, it's not Deve? Um, Deve is, oh, Deve is my boss now, but I've got Lindsay. Oh, okay. Well, Deve was our editor. Okay. Yeah, and she I don't know Deve at all. <laughs> well, it's interesting because it, it wasn't just that, because Del Rey kind of had the same thing. When we went over to Del Rey, so when I was at mm. Orbit, I think they picked me up as a self-published author who they were picking up. But when I went over to Del Rey, Del Rey were fans of mine. They had read my stuff and liked okay. it. So my editor was a fan of mine. So I think that they yeah. may have been a little bit more hesitant to make changes. They did offer a few structural changes, but not much. Uh, I think it was three, literally. Oh, I don't know how other editors work, really, because I've only got experience of mine. But basically, the, um, Tor and Harper collude kind of like parents behind the doors and they come back to me with an edit letter and it's just a list of things that work and don't work and they leave the solutions up to me. But they are long, like the first edit letter I got from Tor was 11 single spaced pages. It was <laughs> massive. Yeah, we, we had yeah, literally I mean, three changes from Del Rey. Yeah. And that's crazy. But on the subject of editors, I, you know, Sonia, you mentioned marketing and editing. I think there's a third uh, category that editors hold down, at least today, and at least from what I've been able to, to see, and that's project management. 
And actually, you know, they spend a lot of, of time are, on project management. Yeah, I, it, yeah, they do. My experience has been that I, my yeah, from what I can tell, they're primarily project yes. managers. Yes, uh, yes, exactly. The other two are are kind of side jobs, and uh, you're, you know, if you if you get that aspect from them, then great. Um, and I, Sunyi's being modest. She actually knows quite a few authors, and and I think uh, has has heard a, a lot about uh, different editors. And I've you know been in that world a little bit as well, hearing from different authors about how their experience with their editors has gone. And I do think that's a little bit atypical to not get any feedback or or very little yes, feedback. Very little. But but I think I think part of it was though. Okay. And this is the thing I was talking about, how when you sign, you really don't know what you're going to get, you know? Yes. I mean, I think they looked yes. at Michael and, you know, this was when, you know, self-publishing was, you know, was kind of like fresh and stuff. And some people were kind of making it in self-publishing. And they thought of it, this is just easy money, right? Like, we're just going to take it. We're going to spend very little money on it. We're going to spend very little money editing it. We're going to spend very little time on the, on the uh, covers. And we're just going to put it out there. And we're going to see if it flies. Which... I can understand from a business perspective and I can be okay with the problem I have is when it sticks, which it did. I mean, it was clear, like we, we earned out our six figure advance in nine months, right? A lot of people would be very happy with that. So when it came time for the next contract, you would expect, you know, okay, let's see a little more, let's see a little more leaven coming our way. And they came in with an offer that was lower than the first and i was more than peeved i would say and uh you know i told my agent i said well you know what you can tell them to take that contract and she said well let me work on them a, a little bit and and i really kind of regret that i allowed her to work on a little bit but so you know like here was the first so i made them pay a premium for spitting in my face essentially and did it work it did, you know, and, and it, it worked in a way. <laughs> it worked in a sense that yes, she got the more money, but in retrospect, she would have preferred to have not had a deal at all. Absolutely, and the reason why we did the deal was, you know, you're always kind of thinking about like how the, you know, the author branding and how you're perceived, and we thought, well, we had one contract, and then we went directly back to self-publishing. Then the story, the story would be oh, Michael Sullivan couldn't cut it in traditional publishing and he had to slink back to self-publishing, right? So I took that second contract because it was only two books. And here's the really interesting thing. I mean, you guys all know the way series work, right? Like yeah. the, the first book gets the most money because it has the most readers and, and a lot of people will follow to book two, but it's gonna be a little bit less than book one and there's gonna be a little fall off between book two and book three and a little bit of fall off between book three and book four. So, you know, and, and they were the big publisher, right? With all the power, with all the distribution, with all the libraries and everything, right? So first two books, they're going to make the most money, right? Well, on books three and four, books one and two have made about 200,000 a piece approximately. Books three and four have made like 450,000 a piece. You know, so I've made more than double on books three and four than I did on books one and two. That I mean, is, is that because of a different royalty structure? Is that because yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> you make a lot more per book when you're self-publishing? I mean, you, you're literally well, uh, and and there are a couple of things, right? So Orbit, uh, in their ultimate wisdom, uh, thought the trade paperback was the only thing that might could could do well in, right? That's just, hmm. he is a trade paperback author. In fact, when it came time, you know, because there was an option clause, when his third, uh, when his third series came up, you know, um, Orbit says, well, you know, like, what are you looking for for this third series? I says, I'm looking for one thing and one thing only. I want hardcovers followed by a trade paperback release. And they said, well, we will not do that. He is a paperback author. He will continue to be a paperback author that's all we will offer and i will like well then we have satisfied the option clause goodbye so when mike wrote this next series 
I was done with traditional publishing. But then Del Rey came in and backed up a big truck of money, you know, <laughs> and, and they said, of course, we're going to do it in hardcover. And I did my calculations, you know, I'm never going to earn out this advance. I'm never going to earn out this advance. And the only way you make really good money in traditional publishing is don't earn out your advance, right? Because then, you know, kind of the, the money is kind of equal, right? Um, yeah. Because it, it gets out of whack so quickly. So I was like, okay, so I won't earn out my advance. Great. You know, let's do this. I earned out that goddamn advance. And, uh, and I was, but, but, but I liked Del Rey a lot. <laughs> it was very fun. Because Del Rey treated us well. What we didn't know was there's a huge difference. Between, I don't know if it's, it's just a cultural difference to the fact that uh, Random House Penguin is, Penguin Random House is a bigger publisher. But I remember when they sent, they actually had me go to three different conventions and they called us up and Robin's like, we have a problem <laughs> yeah. because you have us booked at this panel at the convention on such and such time and we don't know if we can get a taxi from, from the, the airport, airport to the convention in time. And they, and they said, but ma'am. Uh, we're sending a car for you. We're sending a car. Like, well, of, of course you're sending a car. Why wouldn't you send a car? And then they're like, awesome. they're like, would you like us to send you a, a send a car to your home to get you to the airport? And we live at the time we were living in, in Metro DC, and and so we had Metro, and we would always take the Metro to the airport. And we're like, of course. Well, <laughs> normally we would just take the Metro, and we're like, well, you know, it might be kind of nice, and you know, the the nice big black car shows up with its water in the back and its paper and its mints. And yeah, the morning paper there it was yeah, fun. It was. And, and the driver is telling us about how he just brought in Steven Spielberg, Spielberg or something yeah. in the town. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was nothing compared to me. Yeah. You remember. <laughs> no, That's they, really they, they, interesting. Someday, someday, Soon Yun's going to say, you know, he's a legendary author and it'll all be worth it. <laughs> Del, Del, Del Rey treated us much better than Orbit did. Um, they let us have input into the covers. They didn't dink with, you know, you know, they gave us an editor and uh, this copy editor, and this copy editor was not in sync with Mike's writing style. And, and so like, I'm looking at it, I'm like, Mike's gonna stet that, he's gonna stet that, yeah, all those will be stet, no, he's not gonna do that. And I went to them and I said, look, I know you just, I, I know how the business works, right? You get like one copy edit, you've already paid money to this person, but Mike is just not gonna make these changes. And what concerns me is that there are things that are wrong that do need to be made that haven't worked with this. Mm -hmm. And it's not that this was a bad editor, he just had a different style. And he was just... It's interesting because when I started writing, uh, Robin was my alpha editor from the very beginning. And we had a lot of problems because I was trying to do things that she was having conflict with. Over the years, she's gotten used to how I write. She knows what I'm oh, doing. Oh, yeah, I knew exactly what he was not going to do. And then I had an editor who, again, didn't know what I was wanting. And we trained her over many years. Her yeah. name was Linda. Yeah. And still is. She hasn't changed it. No. And so... <laughs> so we asked him. We said, you know, we've been working with Linda for years. Can we just have Linda do it? I said, I'll even pay for it because you've already paid for the editor. I'll pay for it. They said, no, 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 we'll pay for it. And they let Linda edit, and then they hired her for all the rest of the books. And when we, when we asked them that we wanted Mark Sinetti as the cover artist, they went, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and when we said, this is great, except that we want better topography on it, they yeah. said they worked on it. And yeah. they came back and forth with new things, and they would say, how's this? And they would say, how's this? And they would say, how's this? And they finally said, yes, that's good. Yeah. So yeah. it was a much better experience. And, and again, I think, and I think that was, you know, the publishers all have their idea and Mike was, and Mike was not the premier release of that, of that quarter or season or whatever it was by any stretch of the imagination. Even though, so that that contract was uh, over half a million dollars, and he still wasn't like the top release. Like, yeah, yeah. For for how many books? Do you mind me asking? Three, uh, well, it was five thousand. It was five thousand four, five thousand five thousand. Five four zero 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 one hundred thirty five thousand dollars a book for four books. Now, oh, wow, cool. When That's it came time to negotiate books, the last right? two books of the series, um, I said, you know, and 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 that and the the very important thing to know about that was that was only for ebook and print. There were no audio rights on there, 
because mm -hmm. I sold the audio rights first. And, and that was one of the smartest things I ever did because I could never break the audio rights free. All my publishers required the audio rights, required the audio rights, required the audio rights, but they weren't paying anything for them. So I sold the audio rights first, fully knowing that it may squash my any possibility of traditional publishing in the future. And Del Rey picked up those, those four books without the audio rights. And then it came time to do the negotiating for the last two books. And I said, I just want to remind you, the audio rights are gone. And they're like, rut row, that's a huge problem. They said their corporate has made a decision and they cannot, no matter who, no matter what, no matter where, they cannot offer without audio rights. And I was like, okay, fine. So we'll do the last two. And then we took one step further, which is it was a six book series. And I said, you know, these books really break down. It's almost like two trilogies that are like kind of smooshed yeah. together. And it says breaking it up four and two really isn't going to be good. Can I buy back book four, four for $135,000? And they said, sure. And so I bought it back for $135,000. Best check I Is ever that wrote. Was that after it had published book four or before? No, no, they no, they no, they published. They had, at that time, I think they'd only published book one and two. Got it. And and um and I said, you know, could I buy back book four? And they yeah. said, yeah. And I was like, okay. So now, so now they have the first three books of that series, and we have the last three books of the series. And in case anyone's wondering why in the world she did this, it's because the audio rights dwarfed the offer that they gave us for everything. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. The the audio rights. No, not for, no, okay. Yeah, not for that. So the next series of Michaels, I did not even like. Well, by that time, it was pretty well known that like, which is interesting because I think Scott, don't you own your audio rights again? Didn't you get them reverted or something? Uh, yes, that is correct. I, I just recently got them reverted and my agent has a submission out to audio companies right now. Oh man. The difficulty for Scott is that because the audio wasn't done that, and nothing else is done for his books, that damages sales, which then makes it harder to sell audio after. Uh, so it's just kind of like a double trip up that they've mm, we done talk. to his books. We, we should talk. I'm very interested to hear <laughs> we, this though. <laughs> we, we should talk. We should talk. Scott, um, would you like us to change your life? So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. I mean, she she has done this for people, uh, and I, they like. I I've gotten a lot of yeah. people some really good audio deals, but anyways, um, so I'm not gonna say no. Let's let's go, <laughs> but yeah. So um, anyways, so so uh, but by then I was truly done. Like honest to goodness, absolutely done with traditional publishing even though Delray treated me well. And I knew that I would be done anyways because you're kind of a, a an, an odd liar, Scott, oh. because usually all your rights, I mean, that's that's where the publishers are really got their claws in. They're like, if we don't get all your rights, we, we need yeah. the yeah, audio Scott, rights. Scott, she, you're not an odd liar. You're an odd <laughs> liar. I just want to make sure. I know, I knew what she it's meant. It's like yeah. you know. <laughs> Maybe you're an odd liar. You haven't lied, so we don't know. But. Both. I'm, but, I'm, I'm going to go with both. Yep. So for the next series, okay, this, now we're up to Mike's most recent books, which is the Rise and Fall series, which is a trilogy. And, of course, we sold the audio rights for that first again. And I love, I love my, all my audio rights producers. I love them all. I love the people at Recorded Books. I love the people at Audible Studios. They have treated us so much better than standard traditional publishers do. And I told them both. I said, look, got a three book series coming out. You know, my agent, by the way, doesn't get to do audio rights. That's no hands off. I will handle those. Um, hmm. And I said, you know, to both of them, I said, like, look, I love you both. I wish I could give you both the rights, but I can't. Each come back and make me like the best offer you think you can do for the audio rights. And we'll take it from there. And recorded books came back, and um, they said we'll give you seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. And I just about went, 
Okay, well, that's very impressive. Thank you very much. Just for the audio. Just for the audio, Try right? Try to stay calm. <laughs> yeah, and then and yeah. then recorded books comes in. No, you had it backward. I'm sorry. And then Audible Studios comes in, and they said, we'll give you $1 million. I was like, well, that's really something. And one of the really hard calls for me is that then I had to go back to recorded books, and I said, I'm sorry. I mean, I thought your offer was extremely generous. It showed a lot of respect for Michael as an author, you know, like, you know, but they came in better and I get a higher, you know, royalty rate with them. And, um, you know. And quite frankly, when you think about it, when you can say you made 700000 or a million dollars, there is a difference. Yeah. <laughs> so there's and, just this. Right, certain... right. Yeah. Just saying I have a seven figure yeah. contract, you yeah. know, I mean, that's, you, that's something to say. And he said, well, let me. Let me go back to my people and get you another one. I said, you know, as a business person, I should let you do that. But, you know, when I came into this, I told you both, like, make your best offer. And I'm not looking into getting into a bidding war. I'm not trying to squeeze, like, every ounce out of you. I think both of your offers were very generous. I would have been happy with even one of them. I'm not trying to squeeze you. Yeah, we have actually purposely Will. taken intentionally worse deals yeah. in order to either help someone else out or to get something that we think is fair. Uh, but when we've been in a position of having the advantage, we generally don't press it because that would just be wrong. And I know that sounds weird, but yeah. <laughs> have you read my books? <laughs> there was there was one there was there was one time that we took a deal. We we had two offers and uh we should have, from a monetary standpoint, we should have taken deal two, but we took deal one because they were going to pay our narrator a lot more. They, we they, were, they basically hmm. they basically said, we will go back and we will double the salary of your narrator, not only for these books, but for all the books he's recorded of yours in the past. And this is a result of that night we had been explaining that I was, and we were both actually very upset that Tim was making so little off of the books that we were unhappy about that. So when they purposely came back and said, we're going to retroactively double, raise, his salary. double the salary, I went, wow, okay, these people are listening to me. I feel that they're, you know, they're showing me a great deal of respect. So even though the other person was offering me more money, I felt that, you know, they deserved it. it, it yeah, I mean, they, they, yeah, they really were showing me that they cared about us and they cared about Tim. We, we, the audio people like us. Let's just put it that way. Tim has a very long commute into the city for a recording. And um, and we were coming to town for the recording, and I wanted to take Tim out to dinner, so I got Tim a hotel room. And Because um, like for him to go out to dinner with us would then be a hardship, because then he'd have a long drive back home and then come in early in the studio. And Tim came in the next morning and says, wow, this was great. You know, I, I had to get up. I walked across the street. You know, he says, this is really good. I, and I said, well, Tim, would you prefer to record in your studio at home or would you prefer to have a hotel near a studio in New York? He said, well, no, I would really prefer to be in a studio in New York because I like getting to the city from time to time and blah, 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 blah. And so I called up Audible Studios and I said, um, you know, Tim really likes having a hotel when he's <laughs> recording. And they said, yeah, I'm sure he does, but we kind of don't do that. And I said, oh no, I, I understand, but Tim really likes having a hotel room near the recording. <laughs> and it would really make me very happy if Tim were happy. And they're like, okay, we'll get him a hotel room for the city. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> you know. But this has worked out well for them too, because she's actually brought them several authors and broker deals that they yes. were not aware of. Yes. And they're very happy with it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, they do stuff like that for me. And then I tell them, I said like, this is an author you really need to get. And they make him, an, you know, they go I'm to make him. An, they haven't offered you a job. They go to make him an offer. And I'm like, uh, that <laughs> offer isn't going to cut it. You're going to have to up it, you know. And and uh, so I've I've gotten some people some really good audio. They really deals. should offer you a job. I mean, how many other people could they get that are married to a legend? <laughs> That's true. There you go. Oh, you, you know, need to start you're taking both a legend. And, and yeah. part of and part of it is the huge commission I take on all these deals. That's right. It's it's yeah. massive. Which is, which is none at all. None at all. In case you didn't catch this, in case you haven't seen this in every other interview with us, we never take money from anyone. Uh, from I, authors, I, yeah. I, I teach yeah. authors. She helps authors mm. with and trains them how to do publishing, but we never ask. We never take money. We refuse. It's so bad that I went to a Writer's Digest uh, 
seminar where I was teaching classes for them, and it wasn't until I found out that they were actually charging the students that I stopped doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, will I will, I do this for free. I don't, I yeah. hate the fact that, mm -hmm. because when I was young, and I was trying to get into the business, and I got a call from someone saying, oh, I'm an agent, and you know, I just need to know one thing before I represent you. And said, are you comfortable going on the late night shows and pr promoting your book? And I went like, wee, 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 something's wrong here. So I hung up on that one, and then I looked them up and found out that, yes, they were conning me. No, they did get a contract in, and yes. there was all this little fine print down at the bottom about how much you had to pay them. I had to pay them $3,000 a month. Yeah. No, it wasn't a month. I, I think, think it was $3,000 $3, every six months or something. Oh, it may have been six months. But it was a regular ongoing wow. fee. And I'm like, yeah, okay, so that's a... So I know what people try to do when they have people yeah. who have dreams. They try to sap it any way they can. So I would... So, I mean, if... if we were to write a book on like how to write or, or, or how to uh, promote yourself, I mean, we'd have to put it on Amazon for free. Yeah. Yeah. So we would never charge mm. you for that because yeah. it's stupid and we don't no. really need the money. So. Yeah. No, we really appreciate that actually because like, one of the things that I, I, I don't like is that a lot of the information that Scott and I try and talk about does exist, but it's often behind paywalls and it's often behind substacks and forums yeah. and you know, Patreons and people are forking out for it. Yeah. And when I was trying to write and had no money, that just infuriated me because it's inaccessible. It's completely inaccessible. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're both legends to me, just to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> really not. Really not. <laughs> And now you've met us, and it's like, oh, that was shocking. That was disappointing. <laughs> that was very disappointing. No, that I no, mean, not at all. <laughs> yeah, that was that was fantastic. Some really uh, amazing stuff in there, and you know, you say you don't have a regular spiel, but you do very uh, a very good job of running through your experiences and and making it uh, very interesting and cohesive so thank you for that so hearing you know the success case and in particular your success case is awesome and uh, you know inspirational might be a strong word but i think it is the the right word here yeah and i mean i i got a lot out of it so i think the last question we have is we're interested at how you even found us because you know we <laughs> We, we started doing... We've been watching you for years. We have cameras. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's three episodes right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> I think we've got, uh, we've got six out. You'll be number eight. You're, you're, you'll be episode number eight. If uh, Maybe eight and nine, the, the rate we're going. We'll and see. And they had such a great show until that one. So, so, uh, <laughs> so... Um, we had a good run. Uh, so, one of... This is really interesting because I know you guys are part of a writer's group. I think they're all traditionally published, um, which I think is good. Um, my experience, okay, what my experience been has been that yet, traditionally yeah. publishing people don't really talk a lot. You know, yeah. like they, they, they're very closed about their contracts. They're very closed about their advance. They're very closed about, you know, their agents and they just, they're very closed. The indie community yep. is incredibly open. Um, I used to be a, a, a part of a, a, of a forum. It, it, it's kind of fizzled out and isn't a big deal anymore. Um, but it, it, you know, um, they just share everything. Like, here's my editor. Here's my book designer. Here's what I tried doing marketing. Here's, you know, here's what I've done. You know, and, and they, they, they just are very, very, um, just very open and sharing. And Mike belongs to... Uh, a small group of people. It's on Slack, and and they're always looking for things, and uh, and somebody saw your podcast and brought it up in the Slack, and they said, uh, you know, it was uh, uh, one of the one of the channels on on this Slack was specifically towards traditional publishing, and they were very impressed with how open you were with you know talking about advances and you know what experiences you had and so forth. And uh, so, you know, we went out and we took a look and I was like, wow, these people, they're, they're doing good work. They're, they're doing what needs to be done. And, and, uh, and we were sent by the publishers to shut you down. <laughs> <laughs> Still waiting yeah, for that so, call. Still early. <laughs> it, it's actually funny. Well, because, I, don't, I don't think there's a lot of people doing what you're doing. No. Like, 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 Sunni, you've, you've mentioned a couple of other uh, podcasts, like uh, um, Print Run. Print Run. You know, but those are agents, right? And, and yes. You know, and 
the agents have a very different perspective, right? But you know, do. I, I don't know of any other podcast where where no. writers are really like pulling back that cover and like letting people know this framework that that Scott was talking about. That they they have no clue what this framework was about, and by what you're doing, you're starting to show you know, what happens behind the scenes. And we were at a convention once where a brand new author had her debut novel and mm. um, she was, we were traditionally published and she, they were giving her a good push. She hit, she so got a lot more attention than we, we did. And we tried, Robin tried to give her some pointers and she was just not interested because yeah. what she, one of the things she said was to be more active on Goodreads. And unfortunately, um, it was a situation where, you know, she was told by her publisher to stay away from Goodreads. And it was rather humorous because, I mean, it's one of the best sources for getting readers. But then later on in that same convention, Robin was doing a talk on Goodreads. And I came into the, to her talk and I was sitting in the very back row. And another author who was, I think, bigger than I was. She was a New York Times yeah, she was a, author. At the time, she was a big New York Times. And she came in and she was sitting there and she's like... She goes, I only have a few minutes because I have a panel I have to be on. And she's sitting there and she's watching. And she goes, she goes you're her, her husband. I said, yeah. And she's watching. And she's like, oh, my God. I didn't even know you could do that. And she started taking this. And she's writing down these notes. And every few minutes, she would just look up and go, oh, my God. <laughs> and it was just amazing. She goes, I, I've got to take all this stuff down because this is incredible. But the same exact information that Robin was giving to a debut author that was just being, no, I, I don't do that kind of thing. I'm traditionally published and my, my publisher's gonna do everything for me. And this other person who's a New York Times published author in the same uh, uh, mm -hmm. account, it's like, had they known this, it would have changed everything. Yeah. yeah. So yep. what you're doing is the same kind of deal. Yeah. You're getting the information out there. And like I said, I don't, I don't know of anyone else that's, that's really doing this and I just think, you know, I, I think it's, it's good work. It's, the, it's very... The, the stigma runs both ways. That's the problem. Like, I know that in my debut groups, people started splitting off early on to, like, the people who had the six-figure deals and the people who didn't. And it was very much... You can see those clique divides there. And then I think people just don't realize what it's like on the other side because the treatment level is so different. Mm -hmm. um, and people, you know... People don't want to talk about it when the books aren't succeeding, and they don't want to talk about it when they are because it's embarrassing in two different ways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's not your success. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think, you know, part of the problem is not knowing what to expect, and I think part of the problem is there is a huge disparity in power between author and publisher. And whenever you're involved in a business where the disparity in power is so great, it can't help not be like not equitable, right? Like, yeah. you know, like, you know, you, you have people who their dream is to be published. Like that's my, that's my dream. And in such an environment where you're, where you're dealing in people's dreams, it's just really easy for, for them to accept any like crappy contract that comes by that to, to take whatever crappy treatment you get, you get because, you know, like well, do on, the, on, the other, on the other hand, they gave you your dream, you know? So, yeah. you know, and, and, I, and, and, and all I can say is whether you're traditional or, when you're, or whether you're self-published, you know, just you are the only one who's going to be responsible for your success and you are the only one who's going to be responsible for your failure, right? Absolutely. You can fail by quitting and giving up and slinking off. Yep. Um, and if you, you know, if you get in there, you know, like if you write good stuff, I mean, I, I, I can't help someone who doesn't write well, right? Like, you know, that poor guy at the conference, like, I'm sorry, you know, like, you know all the stuff, you know all the business stuff. There's also that other that other small portion of people who slink off and give up and, and then come back and become successful. Who would do such a thing? Who <laughs> no one no one would do such a thing. That's crazy. Just saying it happens. Yeah, it's crazy. So never yeah. too late, right? Never too late. Never too late. Well that's that's yeah. fantastic. We're glad you did find us because this was 
an yes. awesome conversation and uh yeah, I mean, it was thank you yeah we're we're glad just to have met you generally this was fantastic um cool. should we should we wrap it there for now sunyi uh, yeah my daughter keeps asking me for a snack so <laughs> 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 sounds good well um michael and and robin thanks so much and thanks for the kind words thanks for uh you know everything you bring to the uh, not just to the podcast but to the industry it's it's a big deal yes we appreciate it so much and thanks for storing scott's hope <laughs> in the future <laughs> we'll see <laughs> we'll see <laughs> well thanks for making us feel as if we okay. completely wasted right. our lives so 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 scott here's yeah. the very important thing you you need to know right yes when Let's michael when Michael was where you are now, i.e. with the number of books out and whatever, you are miles further than he was. Miles and miles and miles further than he was. So keep that in mind, right? Like, yeah. keep that in mind. Well, I appreciate okay? that. The he doesn't think I'm doing that well, so that doesn't help. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I he mean, I've, I've said. online so he can get interviews. That's what they're doing. <laughs> I've, I, <laughs> uh, I'd have to do a lot of math to get from uh, the money I've made to the money you've made in this industry. So, yeah, I, it, I, I'd, I'd trade if you want. Yeah, okay. But, you know, <laughs> but, but Mike just finished his 20th novel. Yeah, for 20th, sure. For 21st sure. novel. Okay, so, you know, like, yeah. it, does, yep. it doesn't happen overnight. And, and let me it tell you this. It doesn't happen overnight. When you talk to your niece or your, your, your sister-in-law whose niece wants to be an author oh, yeah. and you say to them, oh, yeah. you know, well, if you'd like some advice, I'd be happy to help you. And they said, no. This is, this is a true story. They said, no, she wants to be a real author. My, my, <laughs> sis, my, my sister's daughter now wants to be a writer. And I said, well, when she gets something ready that she wants, you know, that she thinks is good, you know, we'll send it to Mike and he can help her out and he can give her some pointers. It's like, oh, no, 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 that's not necessary. No, no, Ireland wants to be a, a real writer. So, not... so now you understand why I'm not actually a legendary famous author. Yeah. Because yep. literally people when in my own when family. When your sister-in-law <laughs> doesn't think you're good enough to coach their daughter, then yeah. you're not a legend. So imagine <laughs> what the internet does to you. <laughs> We're even we're even getting family secrets out here now. <laughs> it was a joy. Thank you for having us. Yep. Yeah. yeah, of course. You've been listening to the Publishing Radio Podcast with Sunny Dean and Scott Drakeford. Tune in next time for more in-depth discussion on everything publishing industry. See you later.